Hello, this is Brooke Kidd, and you're listening to Artistry. Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Right, and welcome to another episode of Artistry. Today's guest is our founder and executive director of World Arts Focus at Joe's Movement Emporium, the largest independent performing arts center in Prince George's County, incorporating dance, movement, and performing arts. Please welcome Brooke Kidd. Brooke, thank you so much hey, for being Brooke. here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you both. Awesome. Thanks we, for joining us. We are so happy to have you here. I know it's been... An interesting several months for all of us in the in the in the PG area, as well as the nation and the world with the pandemic. So we thank you so much for being here. Let's get started with what is your earliest experience with art? Hmm. Um, I used to choreograph to any song I would hear Mm. and. Um, when I was very little, a toddler, um, my family used to create floats for our small town's annual Labor Day parade. And my grandfather created a ship of uh, Peter Pan and pulled it along behind a small lawnmower. And I was Tinkerbell and my cousins and uncles were different uh, characters. And so we had a couple years of doing these large scale performing arts floats and it was very magical. Oh. And, um, I just didn't, well, it was my performing arts bug that was caught. And so soon after that, I, you know, probably five or six, I just started choreographing things and then continuing on with the family production, I had my cousins in it. And then by the time I was like seven or eight, I was making paper tickets. Uh, (laughs) We were doing dress ups and I made everybody in the family buy a ticket and watch our show. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Even then you were business minded. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. And so, um, and just, uh, just to clarify, where, where did you grow up? A small town in northern Indiana called Ligonier. Awesome. Awesome. And so throughout, even through high school, we're still very much into performing arts and dance? Um, uh, it was a hybrid of things. I really explored everything. Um, I didn't have a lot of formal dance training until I was in high school. Um, I kind of was self-taught and there wasn't a lot of good access and I, I rejected ballet early on. Um, I just didn't like it. I, I grew to appreciate it much later just for its technical training, Mm -hmm. but style wise, I just didn't like it. Um, especially as it was taught in Northern Indiana. Um, so, you know, I wanted to be a solid gold dancer (laughs) or, and, or like soul train. I wanted to be on soul train. (laughs) So I want to do, you know, dippy stuff that I was seeing there. Um, and I did actually in high school, I did a lot of performing arts. Wow. That's um, and one transformative thing in my exposure was going to France as an exchange student, mm-hmm. my junior year of high school. And I got out of this small town 
and saw the world. And I saw so much art and performing arts um, during that time. And I was exposed to a level of critical thinking Mm. and problem solving that the arts could provide. And it just stimulated everything in me. What what part of uh, France were you in? I was in Lyon. Lyon. Oh, I love Lyon. Lyon is beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how, so how does one from Northern Indiana, the small town end up in the the Washington DC area or Prince George's County to be uh, more specific? Well, you can imagine I got the travel bug and after, you know, being in Lyon and kind of going to a lot of different, um, European cities and areas, um, and so I wanted to pursue international relations mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that's my way to, to travel the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, I might go into foreign service or do, uh, anthropology. Um, I really wasn't thinking of a career in the arts though. That's so much what I was hope, kind of hoping and, right. you know, the, uh, I actually was applying to art schools. Um, so I applied to Pratt and wow. Art Institute of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, vacillating between, am I going to do arts? Am I going to do international relations? Right. And I just had this sense of wanting to come to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose American University and I fell in love with the, the campus and the programs there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved DC. It just felt like a, a calling to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Had you had gone to art school, uh, what would you have majored in and why? Um, you know, at the time they didn't, you know, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have the type of collaborative performance art installation type uh, thing, but I was, envisioning that that there would be something multimedia multidisciplinary that would fuse uh design on a couple levels that's awesome so you create your create your own you know your own path which Mm. is good yeah you know in addition to um being the founder and executive director for um joe's movement emporium you're very much an advocate for the arts um you have received several awards, actually, from uh, you were named Business Leader of the Year by Prince George's Chamber of Commerce, received the Sue Hess Maryland Arts Advocate of the Year Award by Maryland Citizens for the Arts, and was also a winner of the Maryland State Arts Council Individual Arts Award for Choreography. Um, what is, would you say, is the ultimate goal for you personally and the future of Joe's? Well, I think we have a very interesting business model that has incorporated community need with supporting artists and how space is critical to facilitate that and uh, using space in unique ways um, from empty commercial buildings which we're going to have a lot of coming up Mm um neglected public spaces um you know those those patches of land that no one claims 
space interests me. And I, there's such an ex- exchange of, of need and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, artists can address the needs. Mm-hmm. And I hope so much with the, where our future goes that artists will be at the table to solve the most critical and pressing issues facing us right now right. in 2020. Yes. Whether it's um, bringing forth unique and effective mental health services mm-hmm. to um, being part of reimagining where the resources go in the continuum of policing to prison. It's interesting um, where you went with the question, because one of the questions I was planning to ask you, and I feel like you went in that uh, direction already, what role um, can the arts play? And what, I mean, you know, we, we've seen how um, the arts has contributed throughout history and how like for every major movement, um, you know, it's played a, a pivotal role. And so I was just interested to, to know your take. So, um, I mean, feel free to elaborate more, but I, I definitely feel like you are already headed in that direction. Yeah. Um, I mean, my gosh, look at what murals have done right. for the current state of our protests. Yeah. yeah. We've never seen murals on streets before, right? Right. right. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah, and, and other it, cities are following suit as well, you know. Believe I, I am ready to do the parking lot at Creative Susan <laughs> yeah. Arts Center. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right there with uh, you. <laughs> um, and um, I mean, the the revolution is going to be expressed mm-hmm. by the artists yeah. and going to engage people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the message for the change. It's the um, choreography for the cultural shift right. uh, going to I mean, the artists have such importance right now mm-hmm. to tell the story past and future. Right. And um, so that we understand what we've gone through and why we need a change and then to articulate and describe the change and create the comfort zone. Um, and to go back to space is I think artists create a space for the dialogue mm-hmm. and the problem solving um, in the healing Absolutely. so that we can go forward. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you were just, just talking about with them as far as space, even Joe's, uh, current location, um, it grew out of a empty warehouse, 20,000 square feet. Um, you, you all have been there since 2007. How did that all come about? Tell talk to us about that process. Uh, we were first in a single storefront on 34th Street um, that opened up in 1995. Mm. Um, and from there, we grew to occupy um, two more adjacent storefronts. Um, so by 1998, we had half the this little part of the block. Um, and we really had an exciting array of programs. And that's when we started our artist partner model, uh, where um, artists come in and have the same schedule every week, all year, and they're supported to rehearse and present and teach. Um, and our big arts education programs started to grow as well. Um, we were renting the space, and along the way, um, I was with a core group of people that started our Gateway Arts District. 
Mm. And it was the first arts district in uh, Prince George's County and one of the first in the state. Um, And I started to notice that that people were spinning that for potential real estate benefits. Mm And they were looking at the impact of the value of space in our arts district, not the value of the artists. Mm. Right. And, and there wasn't enough infrastructure to make sure that the artists would actually be able to stay once they did it. So there was a discussion that all of the current artists needed to find a way to buy their own space. Wow. Right. So different people started to kind of the... A, re- a number of artists were actively looking to create a permanent home. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't be priced out of the community. We branded right. Yeah. arts. Right. Um, right around the corner was this empty warehouse and it had been vacant for a number of years. Um, and just through the grace of a higher spirit, we had the right connection mm-hmm. that talked to the owner and the owner was ready to sell. And, we were able to piece together all the financing to make it happen. Wow. Uh, so then we launched a capital campaign and had to raise $3.2 million and kept it. It took years yeah. to do five years mm. of fundraising. Wow. That's amazing though. I mean, look at it now, you know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's just amazing to hear that story. Wow. I wanted to ask, um, you know, as being a, um, a woman-owned uh, organization or woman-led organization. What have been some of your challenges being in some of these spaces where, especially I, I'm assuming from when you first started where it was very male-dominated and being possibly maybe even the only woman in the room. Was that your experience? And how did you combat that? Oh, yeah. The number one area where I still have to um, show some balls is around my insights on economic development. Mm-hmm. And I, people completely blow you off when you say that arts-based economic development is extremely powerful and it will transform a decrepit commercial area. Right. Yeah. They, I don't think they have a perspective of it because right. they don't look at it that way. They look at commercial development success from different indicators. Mm -hmm. And um, they're not looking at, do we have mom and pop businesses that were sustained through new infill? Have we assured that local businesses and entrepreneurs have come to the table and had the same opportunity? Uh, So that's one area where I feel being a female and being an artist, I have been just um, not heard. Uh, And then being a female in a nonprofit arts organization, um, my salary is still extremely low compared to peers that are male of a similar size organization. And, you know, I, I could set my salary, um, mm. but you know, it's a balance of resources. Right. Uh, for me, it's more important to make sure everybody is, is our salaries are all going up at the same rate, not just mine because of some comparison. Right. Right. But I, I must say that within our own arts 
sector, uh, it doesn't play a role at hardly ever. But I think it's when we're kind of out in the general population, some of that is different. Other than the salary, other than the gender inequity of leadership positions, um, even in arts organizations. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to um, even the very, very beginnings. Uh, you, after graduating, upon graduating from American University with an MA in dance, um, shortly thereafter, you were, you know, um, leading classes. How did that come about, you know, being fresh out of school to, to now running your own organization? Like, talk to us about that process. Did you feel that school yeah. prepared you to do all that? Or was it learning on the job? Um, what inspired it? That, uh, there's a couple things that were big influences um, uh, to get to opening the space. One is I, um, you know, knowing about having been an exchange student, I had planned to do some sort of study abroad in college. Mm-hmm. And so I chose a program that took me to Cameroon mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was such a great program because it was really new um, and there were only 10 students. Oh, wow. And so had such a phenomenal experience traveling all over Cameroon. And I got to see and participate in so much dance and music. Oh, great. And I hung out at the National Center for the Performing Arts in Yaoundé where dance, music, and theater were all together, and the artists mixed together. And I realized, oh, a multidisciplinary venue, that is so much more exciting than trying to build a dance-only organization. And so that gave me this idea that we need to stop isolating dance from the other performing arts, and dancers need to be more well-rounded in all of their performing arts because African performing arts professionals Mm -hmm. do it all. They're so phenomenally skilled. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been around so many artists that had this level of skill in all mediums. Mm -hmm. It didn't say, I'm just a dancer. And they were not that much older than me. It was a different perspective of how they viewed artists. It wasn't so segregated amongst the mediums. So that was important. Um, You know, plus the incredible education I received about the importance of African culture um, and how it influenced the rest of my studies in my undergraduate career. Um, So when I got back from Cameroon, I happened, I, the first couple years, I had major opportunities through the city uh, paper want ads. Mm. So the first one was seeing an administrative assistant job for the Center for Cross-Cultural Communications, which uh, was the nonprofit for Warren Robbins, who's the founder of the Museum of African Art. Wow, okay. And um, he was such a character. Um, this, This tenacious little Jewish guy who was in the foreign service in the 40s and 50s and bought um, um, a Don mask in an antique store. And it started this journey of collecting African art 
that became the Museum of African Art. But at the same time, he he was hanging out with um, European intellectuals and artists. He saw the same Don mask represented in a Paul Clay picture, uh, painting. And so he started to realize that all these modern artists had appropriated or been inspired by mm-hmm. African art. Right. Right. And he dedicated his life to showing the influence of African art and modern art. Mm-hmm. And so I went to work for this guy as his personal administrative assistant for two years. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me, like, you've got ideas. You've got this vision. Just start a nonprofit. Because right. he had done it. <laughs> And so he gave me some guidance. Um, He even came to one of my dance shows because at that time I was dancing with a a lot of different groups. Um, And there was just a a, a mentorship and support for the vision. Um, And ultimately he was a little salty that I left him as his administrative assistant because I was a good one. (laughs) But the exposure that I got, I mean, he had personal correspondence with Joseph Campbell um, and Picasso and uh, he constantly hosted um, African artists or embassy personnel or just different people coming through Mm. and it was just really an incredible education. Wow. It sounds amazing. Wow. So this year marks uh, Joe's 25th anniversary. What are your most memorable moments? Oh, Lordy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Okay, I'm just going to go with the first one that came up in mind. So the community really helps us all the time. Um, For a couple years, we had a chronic stormwater issue in the lower level at Joe's. And there was like three days of rain and the electricity went out too. And so the main sump pump wasn't running and it's a huge pit. Um, So we literally, to prevent more flooding that was going on, we had to carry buckets of water from the pump all the way up and dumping them in the streets. Wow. Well, people found out we were doing that and like 10 people showed up to just help. Wow. From the community. Wow. And that's always been the case here is the community shows up, pitches in has been part of how we operate. Mm-hmm. Wow. Are there any others that you think of? Oh, gosh, lots. <laughs> um, uh, we, um, so Joe's was co-founded with Ajax Joe Drayton, um, a fellow dancer and choreographer. And um, we were performing together and we were part of a, um, there was five choreographers. We all needed rehearsal space. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, decided to create the lease for Joe's because um, there just wasn't any affordable space in the mid nineties for independent artists, right. Right. especially if you weren't in ballet or a certain type of modern dance. Right. 
Um, but even then, there still wasn't enough studios. So um, Ajax and I used to do a bunch of outdoor performances with whatever pickup artists we could do. Um, we uh, did an event called Sweeping the Avenue, mm -hmm. which had an 11-year run, which was doing a community cleanup and creating a performing arts experience with it. And one year, we had the most fabulous found art trash dragon. And we had a bunch of kids and we ran this really eclectic Japanese visual artist that lived around the corner. Mm -hmm. And we just did this dragon around the streets and it was really long. It had um, a rocking chair for the head and some trash can lids and um, these um, old sails and material for the tail. I mean, there are like 15 people underneath it. <laughs> and wow. we're going around and Santana, this Japanese artist, is playing uh, percussion behind us. And it was just crazy and fun. This year, Substantial Art and Music with Creative Suleyn Arts Center will host its second annual It's a Kwanzaa Celebration. It will be a virtual holiday program featuring performing artists and educators from the DMV area. This year, due to COVID, to ensure the safety of our audience, talent, vendors, and crew, we've decided to hold the celebration virtually on the first day of Kwanzaa, Emotia, Saturday, December 26th, and streamed via YouTube. Returning will be our host, Stan Substantial Robinson and Brother Victorious, followed by a restorative justice presentation provided by Randy Green of Circle of Impact Restorative, storytelling from Gigi Gumspoon and Mama Sirwal, seated yoga with Lisa Renee, music provided by Tamara Wellens, and a dance performance by Ni Dimbaya African Drum and Dance Ensemble. The program will also include a virtual marketplace of Black-owned businesses for your viewing pleasure, all from the comfort of your own home. This is our way of bringing the community together, even though we're apart. So continuing to expand um, both the presence in the community. Recently, I won't say recently. So in the past several years, you got you all have been working towards opening an, an alternate location in Suitland called Creative Suitland Arts Center. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, because that's where I got to meet you guys. <laughs> uh, uh, so one of the uh, county leaders that was part of uh, the creation of our Gateway Arts District, um, Peter Shapiro, um, reached out to talk about the needs for a community development strategy in the Suitland area to accompany uh, some development that is happening and is more that's planned. Um, and they were entertaining proposals from different uh, businesses on community engagement strategies. And so he asked if I thought there was a arts opportunity. And I was like, well, yeah, you've got the, the high school right down the street. Right. Uh, so, um, and so he said, well, send me a proposal. And that was a great, I had been thinking about how do we take our model into another community. Right. So this was a wonderful opportunity for us to do that. 
and we submitted a proposal for assessing the cultural resources and asking community what they would like to see in the arts and if there's any critical needs or issues they want to address. And so on about a year and a half process, um, we held meetings, did surveys, met amazing artists like you guys, um, just got to know the community, um, organized performances and activities in different parts of the greater Suitland area, um, from Iverson Mall to Windsor Crossing, and certainly connected to Suitland High School students. Um, and then we pre prepared a report that verified that the community really wanted more arts assets um, from all ages, right. from, the, from babies to elders and everything in between. And meanwhile, the Revenue Authority had purchased the property um, for future development and we're either going to have it used for something or tear it down and wait for development. And there was just this idea of, well, maybe we could let these guys have an art center. Right. And so I, I pushed and pressed and said, yes, we can do this. And, you know, had to back it up with, you know, finding people who might want to be in it. Um, and, uh, you know, envisioning the programs and uh, we it was it's been fairly easy to attract an incredible array of artists, mm -hmm. new artists that ha weren't part of Joe's right. um, that are that have roots in Suitland as you do mm -hmm. and are ready to be there. Yeah, you know, it was such a brilliant idea um, when you consider how many artists that community has um you know that community has created whether they were people who were traveling from like various places around the county um, coming to be educated in Suitland or the very people that grew up in that community like myself um and so many other people and so yeah so the moment uh that we learned about um what you all were doing like it was just super exciting and, and it's just great to witness um because it just you know it's one of those things that the moment I heard it, I was like, that makes so much sense, <laughs> like, you know? Um, and so I'm just excited to see where it goes uh, just because I, I feel like, you know, I think I've said this to you before, but I just can't, I can't imagine how, like maybe how further along I would have been or how, you know, I look at what I've done and then I think back like, man, imagine if I had this resource in this community on top of having this school, um, like, you know, how much further along could I have been? How like how many other people who kind of gave up on their dreams along the way because they didn't have a resource like that? Like what uh, type of difference could it make? And so I'm excited to see uh, what it does for the community in the future. Uh, just going forward, it's it's just great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's, I agree. It was kind of shocking that you have so much talent for it from Suitland High School mm -hmm. and very little visibility in the greater county or the immediate neighborhood. Right. And that's one of the things that the residents regularly said is we want to see those students. Yeah. We don't, we don't know when to see them. We don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so there has to be a intermediary for that to be shared. Yeah. Um, you know, right now the Suitland High School uh, visual arts seniors have artwork up at uh, the space. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, one of the biggest regrets for this shutdown has been the plans that we had for the spring and summer with yeah. all of the students. Yeah, yeah definitely. We'll get back there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. So speaking of that, besides the the ultimate challenge of not being able to, you know, to see and, and to participate in in person physically. Um, but the arts, you know, always being um, inventive and creative. What do you see for the future post COVID as far as for performing arts um, you know, a lot of folks are doing, um, for instance, you know, Zoom performances or IG live performances. Um, do you see that continuing? Um, yeah, I think we have to continue to be part of a virtual performance and format. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by this fall, we'll be able to have very small audiences mm-hmm. and uh, with broadcast. Right. So we're ramping up the ability to film and broadcast anything that goes on here mm-hmm. um, in studios or theaters at, at both venues. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that, I, so I think we're going to have more shows, smaller audiences, mm-hmm. and that it could really benefit all of our performing artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they deserve to perform more than once or twice. Yeah. That's that has always disturbed me, especially how dance is presented. Um, that you you have like a two show run at best, right? Mm. And maybe the model now will be people have a five or ten show run, no matter what performing arts medium they have in these very small audiences, and we will treasure that audience and performer connection more. Right. Right. Wouldn't it be amazing if our audiences showed so much more engagement and appreciation for what it took for that artist to get on stage and everyone else behind them to make it possible? Right. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a great. Uh, that's something I hadn't considered, but um, I think that's that's really great because. I mean, as a touring musician, that's definitely something you see where it's like I oftentimes will visit a city to perform and, um, you know, maybe in some cases the show goes really well, there's a great turnout. And then there are plenty of times where it doesn't. Right. And very few people come out. Um, And a lot of times what will happen is immediately uh, when I return home or get to a computer or get to my phone, I have messages from people saying, hey, when are you going to come to this city? I would love to see you perform. And you literally just left that place. Right. Mm -hmm. And so but I think now because this has been something that like, I mean, it feels like it's been ripped away from people. Right. Like um, like we I was literally on tour when all of this started happening and they were. We like several of the venues I performed that we were the last show before they canceled all of their shows. And so um, and when I did a virtual performance, the first one I did, 
Um, people, I mean, one of the best parts has been that people who who live in cities that I don't get to venture to um, got to see it um, along with people who had been to these live events. But just the appreciation level in that moment just seemed so high. Like it, it felt uh, it felt almost as good as like performing at a sold out um, event. Right. So like now I'm just interested to see how that energy carries over. Like maybe now people realizing that, hey, like anything can happen. Um, I love this person's art. I love this person's music. I love their dance, whatever. I don't know when I'm going to get this chance again to to witness it live, to be in the same space with them um, because I've seen what the world looks like when I can't do that. Um, so like, you know, uh, it's just going to be really, really interesting, you know? No, I was just going to say, um, you know, as a, as an administrator, as an arts administrator, um, are there any talks that you've been um, a part of that you've been privy to um, as far as grantors and what that's going to look like for those that are applying now for operating support, project support? Mm. Because a lot now this affects, you know, when we talk about performance, um, when you talk about, um, you know, operating expenses, you know, a lot mm. has shifted, a lot has changed. Um, how has that affected you and what conversations have you been involved in regarding that? Not a whole lot of conversations with funding. Um, uh, I think everybody is still in an emergency um, space mm-hmm. of, you know, what do you need to stay afloat? Right. Uh, you know, we, we had to furlough quite a number of program staff, um, though I have been able to maintain 18 of our uh, staff during this time. Yeah. Uh, from a mix of, uh, you know, the, the PPP loan and some of the grants mm-hmm. and, and individuals funding us yeah. just really from, you know, uh, people just sending us a small gift. Yeah. It's been so supportive. Wow. Uh, and those who've made commitments for funding that was linked to programs that can't operate right now, mm-hmm. they have... Um, almost all of them have said, please use it as you need. Mm -hmm. So they've removed the uh, restriction or opened up the intention of the funding. Gotcha. Um, Afterwards, I'm not sure. I mean, we're starting to apply for a lot of our fiscal year 21 funds. Um, Yeah. And just kind of rolling with it. Uh, I mean, it is mid-June, and I have not even prepared my FY21 budget. Right. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a conversation with my treasurer last week, and and every and people are, you know, there's no huge pressure, but it is amazing what has had to pause right. in a three-month period. I mean, it's, I just now feel I can start to sketch out mm-hmm. what, little bit of our programs will be from July to June of next fiscal year. Mm-hmm. But I know we're going to have to look very closely at our budget, especially quarterly. Yeah. And we usually don't make budget amendments, but I assume we will. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
What's great is we have received a couple grants for the creative placemaking work at Creative Suit One. Yeah. Great, which is great. That's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. What would you say, again, with um, in celebrating your 25th year and being able to reflect back on all of your accomplishments, um, you know, the, you guys started in the mid to early 90s. This is before, you know, social media. Um, as we know it today, this is before... A lot of things. And so you've seen a lot of um, transitions. You've seen a lot of change, um, a lot of pros and cons. What would you say is, has been your staying power? Hmm. Um, that our, our, in terms of space, it's a place where people go to create and experience the arts. And by focusing on rehearsals and um, studio work, mm -hmm. that's been timeless. Right. And, um, I've also been, the, I mean, the organization is not built around any one production company mm -hmm. or any one artist. Mm -hmm. And I think that has staying power. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a collective of artists. Right. And I think sometimes that's not necessarily part of our brand, mm -hmm. like who all those artists are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's good or bad. Um, um, but I, I also think we, our ability to generate work for artists mm -hmm. is part of our staying power um, because we will contract uh, those artist partners out for different things. So it's, I think it becomes a sustainable business model that if you're paying for rehearsal space at Joe's, then when we have gigs that come up, we give them to you. And then there's enough money yeah. moving around for both and everybody benefits. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would say definitely um, your keen attention to community and your community's needs Um at Joe's, for instance, you have you provide after school programming for students. So you're providing um, childcare in a form of uh, Club Joe's. You provide for your young people, for young your young adults, um, workforce development program. Mm -hmm. How important would you say is community involvement? And I know you've mentioned several examples, but how important is community um, to your organization? Oh, it's absolutely critical because you can't you can't make art just to make art. You have to make art with community. And I love, you're, you're never too old to become art, an artist. And most people would like to be an artist. So open the doors, let everybody in to be an artist, give them the skills to express and tell their story and affirm who they are. Before we close out, I wanted to ask you, what would you like your legacy to be? I'd, I'd like artists in arts education to be seen as a critical business in communities. Mm -hmm. And uh, that Joe's played a role in that. Um, I've seen the impact of Joe's transform the foot traffic in my part of Mount Rainier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's to be seen if that'll happen in Suitland. Mm -hmm. you know, can we 
we're starting to change the vibe of that corner of a lot. Will it spill out? Um, so I would love to be seen as how this work is a catalyst for equitable and authentic economic resources. Yeah. No, that's Powerful. great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brooke. Oh my God, Brooke, this is great. Yeah, absolutely. This pleasure. is really good. Really, really good. Thank you so much. It's uh it's good to reflect today and, and thank you for your thoughtful questions. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.